Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. 1,000 unique downloads. Callum. Yeah, absolutely. More than 1,000 unique it's downloads. It's like 1,011 or something like that. It's probably more than that now. Yeah, that was when that. I looked this morning. So, welcome to the, one of the most popular podcasts in the world, I, I think would say. we can pat ourselves on the back. Yeah, welcome. Uh, and after that, 26 seconds of self-adulation. Um... <laughs> Welcome. Uh, I am Johnny as ever. And I am Callum as ever. Two. Two. As well. <laughs> Callum two. Callum two. That's yes, it's like uh, Audrey two from uh, The Little Shop of Horrors. Wow. Well, yeah. It means to kill a plant is going to get you. Indeed. Um, so welcome back to this week's episode. We've got some interesting rom-coms to speak to you about this week. Oh yeah, one of my favourites. But before we do that, we do like to interact with our audiences, Callum. And how do we do that? Well, all you have to do is go to Untitled Film Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, that's where we post all some interesting stuff, so we get some fun questions, update the new episodes, and we're also on YouTube. If you're not up to date on this whole Spotify revolution, you can listen to us there. And Callum, if you were to do such a crazy thing um, this week and post some things on there, what kind of things would you post? Well, this week I posted the question of... A really good scene in an otherwise bad movie. And it's, I think it's a bit of a personal kind of bugbear for me. I have a few examples. But the one I used is that, of course, the uh, four-hour four hour version of Justice League came out a couple of years ago during the middle of COVID. And it was the most boring shite I'd ever seen. But there was one scene I thought was really lovely. It reminded... Was it the Joker at the end? Mm-mm, I'm afraid not. Sorry, Jared. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but there was one scene, because uh, superhero movies don't do romance anymore, not properly. Actually, it's quite on topic for this episode. Like, um, they dropped that quite a while ago. I would like, argue that 
Guardians of the Galaxy does. Yeah, there are some that do it more yet. I know you have, than but... others, but generally it's quite chaste and they don't go in for big romantic gestures like Superman flying Lois Lane around the city or the upside down kiss in Spider-Man. So there's a lovely scene where Barry, played by um, Ezra Miller, and about to be in the new Flash movie, uh, saves Iris during a car wreck. And of course, his power is super slow motion. Oh, no, sorry, uh, super speed. Super speed, so but, it, but it appears puts, slow motion. It appears in slow motion. <laughs> And Super slow motion. And it's uh, quite a nice scene where he plucks her out of the air and, and it's done to a cover of uh, Song to the Siren, which is one of my favourite songs by uh, Jeff Buckley. Um, and I just thought that scene, that reminded me of the old-fashioned sort of superhero romantics. Uh, but Johnny, if you had to choose one, which would yours be? And then I'll get on to a listener question. I find it quite hard because I think there's probably a lot out there and my brain just, just purged them. <laughs> but actually, I'm going to go slightly left field and say Tenet. And there's like three scenes in there, which are excellent, surrounded by a really boring movie with terrible exposition and some bad acting. But there's there's two or three scenes like I quite enjoy the crashing the plane or bits of it. Again, bits of that don't work. I quite enjoy the the battle at the end where the buildings are exploding in reverse. And I quite enjoy the car chase scene. But outside of that, it doesn't really work as a movie. So it's a bit shit. No, that's a, that's actually a very good choice. I didn't didn't think of Tenet, but Christopher Nolan, because he's so big on his set pieces, mm. but his films can sometimes be ponderous and boring. I kind of I, I know a lot of people like Inception, but I kind of have the same thing with Inception, but to a much lesser degree. Like the film is much yeah, more, I, more coherent and better I in between the bits, so it's fine. The, you kind of put up with the exposition to get to the set pieces, but with Tenet, unfortunately, I mean, I just about just about kind of keep on to it because the soundtrack and i do enjoy the soundtrack it is, so. it's a good score it's an excellent score it's a bit like um tron and another one tron legacy is a bit similar there's one or two really good scenes like the scene with michael sheen hamming up a nightclub uh, as a basically a fake david bowie um is genius and the soundtrack's genius but uh, the storyline is poor and the acting is quite poor as is some of the age reducing cgi yes I, I would agree with that and we do have a response from chris who chose the scene in Deep Blue Sea where LL Cool J is trapped in his own oven. He's a chef and the shark is banging against the door of the oven and switches the gas on. And he only escapes by cutting through the ceiling with an axe. And it's quite a fun little set piece. And the issue that's a good choice as well because that was when CGI was in its infancy, but every studio's insisting if you're making a big movie, you're going to use CGI. Mm. And they just didn't have... The budget, so a fun creature feature turned quite sloppy because of that. But every so often, there's a sequence in it that reminds you that, in at its DNA, at its core level, is a fun creature feature. Which interestingly actually takes me quite nicely onto my first piece oh, of cool. news. Lovely. So I think we're going to segue very swiftly into the news. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook uh, and reply to our things. Um, yes, the Meg Two. Or Meg 2, is it Meg 2 or The Meg 2? I think it's Meg 2. I think it's Meg 2. Has a second trailer to speak of bad CGI sharks. <laughs> yep, see that. <laughs> um, who knew that, that people wanted a second Meg? Uh, it's had, I, I feel like it's been the punchline. In quite, I feel like I've seen like TV shows where Meg has been, or the, is it, I'm sure it's, maybe it's The Meg, Meg, I don't know. I think the first one might be The Meg, but the Meg yeah, this one's Meg too. Yeah, yeah I, I think I've seen it as a punchline in, in various TV shows. But actually the first one isn't terrible, because surprisingly, considering what it should be, 
Have you, have you seen it, I assume? I have seen the trailer, yes. No, no, have you seen the original? Oh, yes, yes, I have. And thoughts? It's all right. Yeah, exactly it's that. It's fine. And Meg 2 seems to ramp it up a bit, but let's see, because most sequels of that kind of movie are considerably worse than the original, but occasionally we're surprised. And on to your first piece of news. Well, it's uh, quite an exciting one for me because I, I love this character, but um, James Gunn, is um, revealed the uh, shortlist for the casting of both Superman and Lois Lane for his uh, version of Superman Legacy, the kind of first big tentpole film when he takes over DC. So we have some names. Uh, they include Nicholas Holt, who I actually quite like. Um, the rest of them I don't know. David Corinswet or Corinswet, uh, Jacob. Elawardi and Andrew Richardson. Wow, you really chewed up some pronunciations of yeah. names there. Uh, let's see, for Lois Lane, we have Emma Mackey, Rachel Brosnahan, and uh, <laughs> Phoebe Denever. Oh, and Samara Weaving. I missed one. Wow. I like Samara Weaving. She was the star of uh, Ready or Not, which is a really fun kind of uh, horror comedy. And so I'm rooting for her. Uh, Nicholas Holt, I like. I don't see him as Superman, if I'm being honest. No, I don't either, really. And I think he... Uh, yeah. I actually think he's maybe too old now as well. Too old and also kind of a bit skinny in frame. Yeah, but then well, again, that's so is Christopher he, Reeve. I mean, he could bulk up. He I could. mean, that's not... That's probably an issue. But uh, yeah, I don't think he's quite the right person for it. But maybe we'll be proven wrong. Maybe. maybe. I mean, there was a lot of people that when Arpats was picked as Batman, we were like... Well, that's true. Who would... Why? Also, why? Nicholas Holt has been forever a bridesmaid. He nearly got Rooster. He nearly got Batman in this new version. So he's been like the kind of second or third guy. Mm. It might prove again to be the second or third guy. He'll have been in Mar- but he will have been in Marvel movies and then DC movies as well. Be one of those crossover yes, people because yes. he was the it, he what, was the beast. The beast. I was going to say the thing, and I was like, it's not the thing. That's the other one. Anywho, speaking of Marvel. Um, but Sony Marvel, as opposed to Marvel Marvel. Uh, Juno Temple has joined the Venom 3 cast, Ooh. which is exciting because I like Juno Temple. Me too. And um, we, I know both of us have a soft spot for two not great movies, but but for some reason they, they're kind of, I don't want to say so bad they're good, but they kind of are. Like they, 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 There's something endearing about them, even though they're a bit shit. It's the kind of film my dad would have called Jolly, which meant rubbish, but enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. They are. I just, I, I just quite like um, uh, Tom Hardy growling at himself. I just think that's yeah, quite funny. He is funny in, yeah. those, in those films. He, he does a good job. Um, and there are some good like one-liners and stuff in it. And obviously, like having what's his face out of um, New Girl and stuff in it. Like, it's got a good cast. Yeah, yeah. They seem yeah. to be. They seem to get the assignment. So I feel like Juno Temple is someone who would get the assignment on that as well. So I thought that was quite a good piece of. I don't know what she's going to play or who, what she's doing. Is but... it still Andy Serkis directing? Because he did the second one. That is a good question. I just filled the air here so that it's not just person who looks something up on the internet, which is a uh, Mark Kermode joke whenever they have to research <laughs> the, something and their man looks up something on the internet. Doesn't say. Doesn't say. Okay, fair enough. That I'm looking at. The person who co-wrote the first movie and wrote the second movie, oh, is moving up to direct the third film, oh, Kelly, okay. Kelly Marcel. She's a very prolific screenwriter. She has been the kind of um, not just the Venom movies, but but also a few other big movies. But now she's also going to be a director. Sweet. So let's hope that goes well. And your my second bit of news, news is that uh, Ron Howard is piecing together the cast who? of Ron Howard. Who? Ron Howard. Explain to me who Ron Howard is. So you know that big director who's not Steven Spielberg, but a bit more twee. 
but also a bit more frothy, but sometimes does something all right. No. Red-headed, narrated uh, Arrested Development. Oh, the Arrested Development voice. Yes, him. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he's uh, piecing together his um, next cast for a film called Origin of Spe- Species. What? Which, it's not about um, Darwin. It's a thriller that's just using it as a title. I looked at the plot, and it's just about a bunch of people who go to the Galapagos and I think have a bit of a fight. I've been there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, and while you were there, did you see Ana de Armas? No, Did you see Jude Law? No, I'm not so bothered about that, though. Did you see Alicia Vikander? No. Did you see Daniel Brühl? No. Oh, he'd have been cool to me. I would have really liked to have seen Ana de Armas. I'm yes, just put that out we're there. big fans. Um, yeah, interesting. That would be interesting because Ron Howard's movies very much lay upon if he has a good script or not. If he has a good script, he usually makes a good movie. If he has a shit script, he usually makes a pile of shit. He's very meat and potatoes, yeah, Da Vinci journeyman code. kind of director. So he he can't elevate bad material, but he can deliver good material. Exactly. Hence, while well, the Da Vinci Code movies are such utter shite, absolutely, the Dan Brown can't write for shit, absolutely. And then they got hack screenwriters and just gave them to Ron Howard, who just filmed shit. Yes. Anyway, that's my Da Vinci Code rant, and uh, I fucking hate Dan Brown. <laughs> Worst writer ever who got famous. Up there with What's-Her-Face, who wrote Twilight. Oh, Not um, Twilight, no, she's the right Stephanie Meyer. Um, I mean... Are you thinking of the woman that did Fifty Shades of Grey? Yes. Her. I can't remember what her name is. No, just poor, poor writing. Although, anyway, I'm not going to get into Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, we'll get into quite a tangent, I think. <laughs> Good. That, well, that is the news for the week, then. Well, well you're welcome. <laughs> yes, yes. You, you should be you grateful. 1,000 downloaders are welcome. Yes, thank you for downloading. And um, should we kick off with the films this week? Shall we? <laughs> Shall we not? Yeah, let's do it. So this week we have got two rom-coms. We do indeed. Arguably rom-coms. Um, what are they? So the first one, it just came out on Disney Plus and it just came out in cinemas not so long ago. It's a London-based romantic comedy independent film called Rye Lane. And we're also going to be pairing it with a 2003 film from uh, director Peyton Reed, Down With Love, which is a sort of pastiche of um, Doris Day sort of movies from the 1960s set in the late 50s, 1960s. I don't think it says, but around that time. And uh, yeah, so uh, who wants to kick off the plot for this one? If you're such a champion, okay. not to ruin it, you can, go for, you can tell us about Rye Lane. Okay, so Rye Lane is a story about two heartbroken people. Uh, they meet when they go to a gallery and uh, the guy called Dom is crying in a toilet stall and she comes in to the toilets and finds this weeping guy and gets very uncomfortable. And like, um, are you okay? Her name is Yaz. And he's like... Uh, this is the boys' toilet. No, it's not. It's a unisex. And in the same fashion of a lot of um, what I like to call the walking and talking subgenre of romantic comedies, they're fairly light on plot, but heavy on dialogue and flirtation. They then they leave the gallery and they go on a walk and a little adventure sparks as they talk about their respective heartbreaks he's a lot more on his sleeve about it like it hurts badly she's a lot more guarded about it she makes up stories about how that it was me that dumped him i'm not affected by it all that kind of stuff and as they go on their open wounds only get bigger as they let each other in so johnny what did you think of fry lane yeah it was all right <laughs> um i really liked it um it's how, how would I go with this? So 
Actually, the, uh, funnily enough, but before, well, I hadn't watched either film when we decided what... Well, I know, so I had to watch Down With Love years ago. But I hadn't watched either film when we decided what to to, to do for this. And I didn't know a huge amount about Ry Lane, just the, the kind of basics. Um, and one of the films that I nearly said to you that we should do was Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Oh, I like that film. I quite like that film as well. Um, and actually, it kind of reminded me of that, in that it's kind of pretty much all happens in in one day mm-hmm. um and you slowly watch two people falling in love with each other which is quite a sweet premise yes um and i'm and if done well is is good <laughs> to, you know it, it, it is done well in this case so um really like the two leads um and they've got a really interesting eclectic mix of people um i don't want to give too much away but there's you know a few cameos from people in there one really big star, but there's some quite good other ones in there and some quite interesting people, not all of whom are actors in the traditional sense, which I quite liked. Um, there's, some, there's some quite famous musicians and bits and pieces in there too. Um, and that's all really nice. I I've, I was trying to decide if I liked how it was shot when I was watching it. Overall, I really do. I like the colour palette used. I like the way... Um, anyone who's been to that area around Brixton and Peckham in London, which I have quite a bit because I have friends that live there, um, you know, you can you can see a lot of um, you can see a lot of it in uh, on the screen, which is really exciting, really interesting, and I think it really gives the you know really good grounding. But it's also shot in that kind of like hyper real way, where um, although it's very realistic, actually, it's you know it's it's quite it's quite um, surreal at the same time, which I quite liked. Uh, it's a lot of the shooting, particularly when they're out walking around and stuff, is is quite fisheye lensy and, and things. Which, again, I can can annoy me sometimes, but if it's used right, I like it. And I overall, I liked it in this. Um, if I have one slight criticism, it is it is a bit twee. Um, I it, the other film that I kind of it drew drew comparisons in my head to. Um, there was a few, but the other big one uh, was Juno. In that kind of, it's very. Um, kind of up to date, you know, but unfortunately, I think if you watch Juno now, it feels like it's maybe aged a little bit. I do wonder in some ways, will some things in this age a little bit quickly, which, you know, isn't a criticism. Some films are off their time and some films are, are timeless. And I, for something that I really liked and really like the characterizations, I thought maybe doing a little bit less of that might made it a little bit more timeless. But I don't think that really matters in the end of the day, how much did I enjoy it today? Really enjoyed it. And it's a definite watch. Something else that I'd like to, to say, you can make a really good, interesting movie that tells the story of two characters well in less than an hour and a half, Absolutely. which is I something think, I always bloody bang on you about. You absolutely do. I think the time <laughs> of this film is uh, an hour and 22 minutes or something thereabouts. Genius. Love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> no notes. 10 out of 10. Yeah, exactly. Ignore the criticisms. So yeah, uh, what about you, Callum? Um, overall, the same, but uh, I have to kind of put my bias up front. Uh, my favourite movie of all time is When Harry Met Sally. Um, I used to lie and tell people it was Robocop because I was a horror sci-fi nerd but I love that film it's still in my top 10 but it is When Harry Met Sally I have a soft spot for a good romantic comedy it cuts right through any cynicism that I have and just gets me but to be critical I will front load with a minor flaw and it's a structural flaw that is in this particular subgenre of the walking and talking romantic comedy is that the walking and talking section is always in the first two thirds to three quarters. 
And then, of course, the third act drama they thing. They struggle to stick the landing. And they tend to... And it's not a problem so much with the screenwriting or direction. It's just that in this particular subgenre, I haven't seen one to ever particularly stick this particular issue or stick the landing because you fall in love with watching them so much as they walk and talk in the first two thirds to three quarters, that when the obstacle, the third act, the three quarter obstacle comes in the way and stops the walking and talking, Mm -hmm. you go, I wish they were back to walking and talking. But in this movie that happens literally in like the last 15 minutes, if that. So it's really not much of the film. I quite like the way, and again, not to give the ending away, but they, I think in some movies they'd go, it needs to be a third, a third, a third, and they'd have plumped out the last... Yeah, the last, the last 25 or 30 minutes. The, well, even longer than that. They'd, they'd have made that 15 minutes to 30 minutes in a lot of movies. Yes. And there's a very smart way, which uses something that's used a few times in this movie, which is music, that they get through that. Yes, um, I agree. And I think it pulls it together quite nicely. I think it works better than most, but yeah, I would agree. It does struggle to stick the landing, but and I think that's often the case with rom-coms in general. It's often the case with rom-coms in general, but it's, it is always the case with this particular subgenre. So... Um, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist you yeah. mentioned um, absolutely does not stick yeah. uh, In Search of a Midnight Kiss if you want to go ultra indie mm-hmm. um, the before trilogy even has this a little bit and that as soon as the walking and talking stops and they sit down or break up or whatever it is is the obstacle then it's slightly less interesting but I do mean slightly less interesting but up to then um, all of your um, positives are mine but I think just cranked up a little bit mm-hmm. uh, I thought they're a humorous well-paired leads and i think that if you know the casting of the lead is probably in this kind of movie is the most important thing and oh, they absolutely are a really good pair they are and they um they they have really good chemistry together they, they, they have great chemistry also i think something that hasn't been mentioned is the flights of fancy the uh, fantasy sequences so when mm. they're recounting their stories of breakups each one intrudes the dream sequence so it's done in like you said it was a hyper real sort of way but um, like in her retelling of the breakup, he'll pop into her story and actually kind of intrude the scene and she'll do the same. And I like those little bits. It reminds me of things like uh, Edgar Wright is probably an influence and uh, a lot of um, French New Wave cinema kind of similar things. And it quite reminds me of High Fidelity as High well Fidelity, yeah. in that scene when they're thinking about what they would do with, um, uh, what's his name's character, the, the, the vegan guy that... Um, that John Cusack's character's ex is oh, dating. Oh, yes, yes. So when they beat up uh, t- Tim Robbins. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yes, um, no, I, I thought it was um, wonderful. I was beaming from ear to ear for most of it. Um, and it also has uh, a lot of references to old school hip hop, which I always appreciate. Um, there's a subplot involving a tribe called Quest uh, record, which if someone had stolen my tribe, if I owned a vinyl copy of uh, that album by a tribe called Quest, I would absolutely break into somebody's house to steal it back. Uh, I've but, got some Tribe Called Quest, but I don't think I've got that album, actually. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, no, I, I really, really enjoyed every bit of it. And my any criticisms I have are, are tiny, really. Um, but, yeah, I, I have nothing but praise for this movie. No, I would agree. I am a fan. Yeah, I think it ticks a huge amount of boxes. And I think the other thing is that I always really like, I like a scrappy movie that was probably made for not a lot of money. And I think this was probably made for not a lot of money. Well, I think the reason why a lot of art house and indie romantic comedies go for the walking and talking route is because they can film 
relatively cheaply in a nice city and that becomes yeah. the production value exactly so seeing brixton it's a production value in this as is seeing um paris in before mm. sunset or seeing los angeles in in search it's of a probably shot like a thirty thousand pound red and stuff yeah, instead exactly. of like a half million pound re in a set and, and um yeah. because they know that they've got digital cameras rather than uh, just shoot it conventionally as you said it goes for broke and goes completely fisheye mm-hmm. so it has a style it never doesn't look stylish do you know another reason that a lot of people use fisheye in that scenario is um it reduces the need to do multiple takes and multiple angles and things because you you have all the angles in one in one go. it's why terry gillian uses a lot of fisheye um because it it saves him to do, it's a budgetary thing it saves him to do a lot of takes so that's why a lot of... I, I don't know that that was the reason it was used in this case, but I assume that possibly is. So it saves them having to do, you know, two takes cutting between the two characters all the time. You can have both the characters in frame because it's a much wider frame. And it's a stylistic stuff. way of doing it. So it, it's a way of doing it while also giving it a sense, a personality. Exactly, exactly. So no, really big fan of that movie. Yes, me too. I think that probably wraps that film up. I think so too. So enjoy this advertisement break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello there, and welcome back from the advertisement break. I'll have what she's having. You can, I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> so the second film that we are going to talk about today is the 2003 Peyton Reed rom-com, Down With Love. Um, Peyton Reed, for those that don't know, is the person who has directed the three recent Ant-Man movies. He also directed Bring It On. Uh, it was another big one of his. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. So he's got a bit of a flair as a as a cinematographer and director and things. And it's all on the screen on this movie, which we will talk about. So uh, Barbara Novak and Vicky Hiller, 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 uh, played by Rene Zellweger and Sarah Paulson, um, are a new writer on the scene and her literary editor. And the film opens on them going into a room full of let's just say nasty old men <laughs> who are the board members of um, their book company and they are trying to, or pu- publisher is probably the technical term, uh, and they are trying to get their, or, or, or Barbara's book published. And it seems like they do it. But while doing that, Barbara's describing this type of man that she hates, this kind of philandering guy, um 
and which is followed up by one of the uh, one of the the nasty kind of men saying, "Well, that's the the kind of men you have in your in your um, you know little I can't remember what state it was, but it was a what, what mean people would call a flyover state." Um, but in New York, they're so much worse. You'll be trying to protect your front and then protect your back and then protect you from above. Cut, split screen. There'll be quite a few of those in this movie. Uh, to um, a ladder falling out of a helicopter and the dashing... What's his name? The dashing catcher block, played by Ewan McGregor, is saying goodbye to three triplets and jumping onto the roof of his... It's not a publisher, it's a magazine. What is a pub- magazine publisher? Whatever it is. His publisher, uh, where he is met by um, Peter McMahon, uh, David Hyde Pierce's character, who is his publisher. Uh, and they start to talk about these... Uh, they, and they start to talk about his philandering ways, like I'm fla- uh, I'm floundering right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite hard for him to explain. Anyway... Barbara Novak quickly finds out about Catcher Block and doesn't like the cut of his jib. And Catcher Block comes up with a plan to write an expose for his magazine on how Barbara Novak is full of shit. And that's the, the plot. What, how, what did you think, Callum? <laughs> well, um, to steal your line, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> but this, in this case, it really was all right. And I think, actually, the... I probably wouldn't have done much better with describing the plot because what it's trying to do is... So this film is set broadly in the late 50s, early 60s. It doesn't say specifically when. It's trying to bite off the apple of Rock Hudson Mm -hmm. and Doris Day, frothy romantic comedies that use split-screen gags and a lot of innuendo, but actually kind of of fairly chaste. And... The thing about those movies is that they're quite naughty. Like they're double crossing each other, and then they're they're uh, they fall in love, but then they fall out of love, and then they get married, and da 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 da. And that's what this romantic comedy is trying to do. There's a lot of sort of um, pretending to be someone else, falling in love with the person you're pre- that that person is pretending to be, but he's only pretending to be that person in order to catch her in a lie, and he's da 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 da. When I was watching it, I was thinking there's a lot of like Ocean's Eleven in here. It's and <laughs> well, similarly, Ocean's Eleven, uh, of course, is um, a remake of um, a Frank film Sinatra. From, yeah, Frank Sinatra. So you know that kind of heist movie is like I'll pretend to be this person to do that thing to do that thing. It does get a little bit. There's, there is a difference between pastiche and uh, parody and um, uh, tribute. And I think this film sometimes veers all over the place. It kind of doesn't quite secure on, are we making fun of this? Yeah. Are we a big fan of this? Are we a big fan of Doris Day movies? Are, are we not? I, I, the vibe I got is that I think there is more love for those films than I think there so, is. Broadly. Uh, broadly. There's a few bits where they're like, wink, wink, we're in the 20th century now and we don't think this way about women anymore yes. but other than that but i think broadly uh, you know it, it, it sounds like I'm, I'm not liking this film but i think it does when it does kind of figure out what it wants to do it gets the naughtiness of the plot right but um i think sometimes i guess my issue would be is how it over eggs the pudding um so for example it does a lot of split screen gags i think it has about six or seven across the movie I could have done with four. And I think across the film, and there's a lot of scenes where they're not, uh, Catcher Block and Barbara Novak aren't meeting each other because he makes up an excuse because he's gone off to sleep with some glamorous, you know. And that happens about five times in the film. I could have done with two. And I think that's the thing. I enjoyed every 
parody of um, Rock Hudson films that I saw. But I think at some point I wanted it to calm down a little bit and just mm. tell a more conventional tale. So if you're if you're going to do kind of the naughty plot where this person betrays this person and gets married to that person and and um, falls in love with that person and but he's pretending to be someone else, you have to make a masterpiece. You ha- in order to get something like that right, or really right, rather than kind of three out of five right, you need to really make it the best damn version of that. Otherwise, it's just going to go, wait, wait, what? Just calm down. Because in the thir- third act, there's a second um, reve- revelation of double crossing. And I thought, oh, come on, just that's enough of this but again, oh, that's the third act surely yeah no sorry the third act sorry um but broadly i did like it so um the good thing about ewan mcgregor and um renee Zellweger, who played barbara novak is that they have a good they do a good line in americana they've just been in moulin rouge and chicago which both are kind of cheesy and broad and over the top versions of the past and he was in big fish and she was in um a, I believe she did another film um, kind of in a sort of 50s, 60s setting. I can't, the name of it escapes me now. But Americana is something that those two actors, cutesy, cheesy Americana and romantic comedies, is actually something quite fitting for both of them. They have a, both have an old-fashioned look. Well, but while they are good, the support their respective editors, played by um, uh, Sarah Paulson and David Hyde Pierce, are great. And it does become sometimes a film where you want to see David Hyde Pierce come back uh, when Barbara and Catcher are doing their their little dance, but they are good, and the frothiness is a, it's a it's a very good production design. It, it's very good on the eye, and when it does settle a bit and just kind of goes through the motions of telling a fun, cutesy, cliched Rock Hudson parody, it does it well. Uh, so broadly, I like it, but sometimes I just found it. it overdoing it a bit and just wanted it to kind of dilute the the formula by about 15 percent or so but johnny what did you think i kind of agree um although i don't necessarily wanted them to dilute the formula i think that's what makes it work but i do think it struggles in that has a massive third act problem which i think actually is often a problem with rom-coms because you obviously the first act is two people meet they fall in love then the second act is them falling in love more. And then something might start to come in between it. And then the third act is them, the thing happening and then them patching it back together again. And often that bit is unconvincing or insincere or you think, hang on, the thing they did that was bad was way too bad for them to be able to pull this back. Or, which I actually think the Rylane does right because they just have a bit of a disagreement, which is not to give you too much of the film away, but it's you know that's a sensible thing, not like they have a massive affair, which is like maybe not so comebackable from. Um, But yeah, so I do think it has a third act issue. And I do think, like you said, it twists itself in knots towards that thing. And then that hamstrings the third act probably as well. I do think it had a lot of, um, yeah, it does feel a bit like an Ocean's Eleven movie at times in that it's like, yeah, I'm going to double cross this and then double cross this and double cross this. And maybe they could have done with a couple less double crosses and a tighter third act and maybe make it an hour and a half and cut out some of the sight gags because there's again there's one there's a split screen one where they're both talking on the phone with each other that almost like veers into austin powers levels of like um 
uh, innuendo and things. Yeah, it, 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 it maybe goes at this like, is this one step too far? Like, I found it quite funny. Like it's, but it do, it doesn't feel like it fits in with the film. I think it might be again on those kill your babies things where. The, where they were like, oh, this is funny, this is so funny, this will be hilarious. And it kind of is funny, but it doesn't really maybe work with the tone at times. Um, I really like, I, I, I'm going to put my cards on the table, I like Ewan McGregor as, a, as an actor a lot. Um, and I like it when he's doing this kind of camp suave, if you know what I mean. He does it very well. He it's does one of the things, well. like uh, Big Fish has a lot of camp suave as well. Yeah, and also in... Uh, in um, Bird of Prey, I think oh, that's kind of him being that kind of like, yeah. with a little bit of slime in there as well, but not like Jude Law levels of slime where it's like, Ugh. Um, and I think he does that very well. He's got a very like winning smile. Um, and I, this was kind of when Renee Zellweger was at the peak of her powers and she was doing very well. But yeah, I also very much agree that Sarah Paulson and um, David Hyde Pierce really kind of steal the show. Um, they're just great. I, they're, again, they're both people that I've really enjoyed in various things they've done. I, I love Fraser and, and he is basically just playing a... It's Niles. Maybe, yeah, it's Niles. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Niles. And I'm happy about that. Yeah. I have no problem with watching Niles Crane. Um, actually, the, the a couple of the apartments were quite Fraser-esque as well. Yes. Particularly um, uh, Rene Zellweger's one. <laughs> um, and also, uh, and, um, and, and yeah, um, Sarah Paulson's just great. She's great in everything she does. I'm a massive fan. Massive fan since I watched Studio 6 on Sunday strip so um yeah i i i really i like it i really like it it's massively flawed um but i think it's although i think it's i think it's a film that maybe is greater than the sum of its parts in a way when you really look at it and you think about what they're trying to do and you think that the third act is is not good and, and things you kind of think, oh, this is maybe it's a disappointment, but actually, it's a perfect Sunday afternoon. You know, we say this a lot about Sunday afternoon movies, but actually, this is one that I, I put it on I, the background when I was doing the getting ready for this this um, review because I'd seen it before and I just wanted to refresh my mind. Um, and then I actually found myself getting quite engrossed in it more so than I thought I was going to. So now really, really like it. It's a clever sight gag where whenever they're in a car, they use rear projection like they would in films in the 1950s and 60s and they use footage stock footage from the 1950s and 60s i thought that's a clever idea yeah it has lots of little things like that but it's clearly a film where someone gave gave a shit yeah you get that's why i think i what i was saying i think it's more kind of homage pastiche than it is satire because i don't think it hates the genre i think again like i say there's a couple of like knowing winks like it's not 1960s anymore. You couldn't get away with saying this kind of. But other than that, I don't think it is it's really having a go at the source material. I think it quite likes the source material. But yeah, any more to add? No, I think that's everything. I think we've uh, um, summed up both films very well. Perfect. If we do say so ourselves, a thousand downloads. A thousand downloads. <laughs> on the back. And I think at this time we need to say a big thank you to Robert Hardstone without whom... I'm sure all of this could not have happened because I probably would have lost interest in having to edit every episode. He makes us sound great. Um, He does a lot of hard work. So thank you, Rob. Thank you very much. And he will be on a very special episode in about about six weeks' time. Roughly, yeah. Look forward to that. Excellent. So, Callum, scores on the doors for Rye Lane. Rye Lane was wonderful. I think uh, so far it's my favourite film of 2023. 
Um, I've, wow. seen it, I've seen it in cinemas. Although that does partly say something about more of the state of cinema in 2023. I haven't seen, other than Rye Lane, I haven't really seen anything that's kind of blown me away. Yeah, I think that's a um, But no, it was wonderful. This is a film that did blow me away. And uh, this is the kind of film that cuts right through any sort of last remaining shred of... of, um, of uh, uh, cynicism that I might have. This is the kind of romantic comedy that just pins me to the wall. And minor misgivings aside, I'd give it a nine out of ten. Yeah, I really, really liked it. I think it's short, snappy, interestingly shot, really well acted, funny. Um, which is what I think sometimes people forget. A rom com should be also funny <laughs> yeah. as well as rom. Um, and I believed in the characters. Um, I probably don't like it quite as much as you, so I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. Nice. Uh, and Callum, down with love. It's uh, charming for the most part. It does over overdo it, I think. Um, I could have seen, uh, done with uh, it doing it, the thing that it did less, but the attention to detail is worth uh, mentioning and it's very commendable. The performances are very good and they all get the tone of what it is they're trying to do. Um, I think it ties itself too much into a too big a knot and it's not its script isn't quite good enough to pull it off but when it is funny it's funny when it's frothy and trying to be silly and camp it does all those things i think overall a six out of ten so i think my score is probably harsher than what in my heart of hearts i think about it but i'm going to give it a score based on what i see on the screen not as much as actually i kind of just really quite like you mcgregor and sarah paulson and and david high pierce and renee zellweger just running around being silly um so i'm gonna give it a six out of ten as well i think yeah it, it has massive third act issues um and it's you know it's not a perfect movie by Benny stretch of the imagination but i like what it's doing i like its chutzpah um, and I still, I still give it a good, in, you know, I give it a good watch. But I just think it would be unfair to give this a higher score when I've given Ryan Lane an eight out of ten as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I was going to say seven, and then I thought oh, it's a bit close to Ryan Lane. But I also don't think Ryan Lane quite is a nine in my head. So I'm going to give this a six based on that. No, fair enough. Um, so no, uh, excellent. So we have given Ryan Lane a, compi- a combined eight and a half out of ten. So that is a definite must watch. And we have given uh, Down With Love a 6 out of 10, so a nice rainy Sunday with a cup of coffee. And both are on Disney+. Plus. A bit of trivia for Down With Love. The musical number at the end is because both um, um, Renee did Chicago, of course, and Ewan did um, Moulin Rouge, and they discussed it. And they said, it would be a shame for the two stars of the, the kind of the only two musicals to come along in ages to not do a musical number. Can we stick one in? And the director said, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. Fair. I think that's a fair show. Yeah. Excellent. Well, once again, follow our socials, Instagram and Facebook. Um, Untitled Film Podcast. Is it Untitled Film Podcast? Or it Untitled is. Film Pod. No, no, it's podcast. Um, and yeah, go do that. Answer our questions and have a great week. Thanks a lot. See you later. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.